You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 82 of Tax Talks. This is Heidel Robson. And a big thank you to Class for supporting you by sponsoring this episode. Exempt Current Pension Income, ECPI. That is really what super is all about. The exemption of pension income is what makes super so attractive. But it is also a complicated concept. It touches on so many things. Segregation, conditions of release, allocation of expenses to income, and a lot more. Melanie Duns, the head of technical services at Acurium. So she knows a lot about ECPI and everything that wraps around it. So perfect to ask for advice. I met with Melanie at Class Connect in Sydney, where we talked in a separate room set aside for us. So over the next four episodes, Melanie will walk you through segregation, disregarded small fund assets, actuarial certificates, and how to maximize ECPI. This first of the four episodes is about segregation and how it affects exempt current pension income. Before we actually started, Melanie already made some very helpful comments, which I wanted to share with you. So we start with those comments that were made off the record and then lead into the actual interview. Here's Melanie. Enlighten me about segregation because I'm very weak on that. Yeah, well, you're not alone. Topic. Yeah. <laughs> the, the point I get out here is, and that's why I do elected first, is prior to 1 July 18 or 1 July 17, segregation was something people didn't really do. It was a deliberate investment decision by the fund trustees to go, this property is going to belong to Heidi in the fund. And it was something that they did primarily for capital gains purposes, but it wasn't compulsory. You didn't have to do it. And in fact, to do it, you had to do additional minutes and make decisions about it. So it wasn't prevalent. So the, the deemed segregation is quite a change because now people are forced into that category. Before 1 July 17, funds where they had these periods where they were solely in pension, but they had other periods where they're in accumulation, would have just got an actuarial certificate for the whole year. And they only would have used the segregated method if they were fully in retirement phase for the whole year. If you had a mix at any point, they would have just got a certificate. So that's the main change is that now you can't just get a certificate. You have to check for these deemed periods. And if you have them, you have to use the segregated method in those periods. So that's the new ATO view that they came out with. And the background, which when I talk through this, is that it came about as a result of the CGT relief. So you remember there was that test at the 9th of November, was the fund in pension or was it a mix? Well, that got them thinking when you're only in pension, you're segregated. And that was the method you had to use for that. And so the actuaries came back and said, well, that's interesting. How does that apply to ECPI? And they said, oh, okay. Yep, we're going to apply that definition to that as well. And so that's kind of where that came from because industry practice was it different to that ATO view prior. And so they basically came out and said, look, we'll do a compliance approach 16, 17 and prior years. The ECPI, you can continue to just use one actuarial certificate. But going forwards, they want you to make allowance for this deemed segregation. Can you tell me what segregation actually is? Segregation is segregated pension assets in the legislation is where assets are set aside to solely support retirement phase income streams at a time. So, yes, where an asset is set aside and it's solely supporting a retirement phase account, so an account-based pension, a TRIS in retirement phase, a market-linked income stream, 
then that asset will be a segregated pension asset for that time. It's got to fit within the account, so it can't be supporting both pension and accumulation. It has to be supporting only retirement phase accounts. And that's why a fund that is purely in retirement phase always has segregated By assets. By definition, segregated, yes. And that's why... A fund that is only in accumulation never has segregated assets because, by definition, segregated assets are only supporting retirement income streams. Segregated pension assets are solely supporting retirement phase income streams. Yeah. I see. So you could also have segregated non-pension assets that are supporting something else. Yes. So by default, assets are unsegregated or they are not segregated. So whether it's solely in accumulation or a mix of pension and accumulation, that's unsegregated or proportionate method. If they're solely retirement phase, segregated pension assets, just because they might be solely accumulation doesn't make them segregated non-current assets. There's a separate section in the Tax Act that you'd have to comply with if you want to segregate assets to accumulation. And that's primarily not for SMSFs, but you can do it in an SMSF. But what you actually need is a different actuarial certificate, which for an SMSF would just say you're entirely taxable, but you need a certificate under the the tax law, to have segregated accumulation assets separate from your assets which are not segregated. So you don't see that very often in an SMSF. I yeah, see. So the, every accumulation fund, they don't get an actuarial certificate. They're just unsegregated. They're 100% accessible. So really segregated pension assets and everything else when you think about SMSFs in general. Good. So that's segregation and then ECPI yeah. is the income that is tax-exempt, but the ECPI percentage would we get through the actuary certificate? Yeah, so ECPI exempt current pension income, again defined in the Tax Act as the, the income earned on assets supporting retirement phase liabilities. So if you're segregated pension assets, everything's exempt current pension income, 100% of your income is ECPI. If you're under the proportionate method, by definition, that means you've got retirement phase and accumulation accounts. And so because in an SMCF, assets are not attributed to accounts by default, it's just one big pool of assets supporting everything because they're not segregated. Then we don't know what income belongs to. Was it belonging to the pension? Was it accumulation? Well, it's in fact supporting everything. So you need an actuary under the law to tell you on average what assets were supporting the retirement phase side of things in the SMSF. And that proportion is then representative of the income earned on the retirement phase assets and what can be claimed as exempt. So if you had $50,000 in pension and $50,000 in accumulation, you've got 100000 overall, but your retirement phase liabilities on average might be around 50%, so your tax-exempt percentage would be 50%. So it's done on the, the average retirement phase liabilities divided by the average total superannuation liabilities, and that's the proportion that you can claim as your exempt current pension income. That's done by the actuaries under the proportionate method, and yes, you multiply that by your assessable income, excluding non-arms in income and assessable contributions. So if you had segregated assets, that is ECPI on its own. And then any income earned in your proportionate periods, so not on your segregated assets, is what you multiply the exempt income proportion by. Uh, yes, of course. So people can use both methods under the new rules. Your total ECPI is your segregated pension income plus your unsegregated income multiplied by your actuarial percentage. Yeah, so that ECPI is reported in your SMSF annual return, item 10 section in section A. And this came in a few years ago where you actually have to write down the amount of ECPI, but also identify to the ATO what method you used. So that's now part of their reporting. You'll tell them whether you used the segregated method or the proportionate method. 
And if you use the proportionate method, you have to tick a box to say that you have got the actuarial certificate as is required to claim ECPI in the annual return. Yes, but the amount of ECPI is filled out automatically in the softwares in BGL and CLASS. Yes, so if you're using BGL CLASS, Supermate, uh, part of their tax return process will be to work out the ECPI that can be claimed in the annual return based on the periods relating for the actuarial certificate and the proportionate method and whether there were any segregated assets or segregated periods, yes. So when we think about ECPI, there's a number of accounts that will count towards the retirement phase liabilities in our calculation. So retirement phase liabilities, which is this new term we've had from 1 July 17, we used to call pensions. Now we've got to talk about retirement phase assets or retirement phase liabilities. So they're account-based pensions, market-linked pensions, also known as TAPs, transition to retirement pensions in the retirement phase. What is known as TAPs? Uh, Term-allocated pensions. Oh, I see. So they're the same thing as a a market-linked. So they're, yeah, old complying pensions, so they're non-commutable income streams. Mostly you see those in an SMSF as a result of a previously commuted defined benefit income stream, but you can't start them afresh anymore. You can start them if you have a commuted DB. So any new income stream will be an account-based pension or a TRIS in the SMSF. On the other side of the coin, we have the non-retirement phase liabilities. So our accumulation interests, any reserves in the SMSF are non-retirement phase. And obviously our TRISs that are not in retirement phase These accounts in the SMSF will count towards effectively producing accessible income and not exempt income. Can I ask you something about reserves? Do you see those a lot? Again, mostly as a result of a commuted or expired defined income stream. So the AATO released a guidance a few months ago about use of reserves and there's only very restrictive appropriate times when an SMSF can have a reserve. One of those or the most common that we see is the Upon expiry of an SMSF, which has a defined benefit interest, any assets supporting that expired interest or on the death of the member will form an unallocated reserve in the SMSF. So that's where you see your largest reserves come from. You might have a what we might call a reserve sitting there from a contribution waiting to be allocated, but in the true sense of the word, the ATO doesn't see that as a reserve. Uh, and then we have our defined benefit interests. So these are our life expectancy, our lifetime income streams in our SMSF. They have characteristics associated with both retirement phase and non-retirement phase. And indeed, if you have one of those in an SMSF, you always need an actuarial certificate to provide the exempt income proportion and the adequacy statement of opinion that's required for those interests. So if we think about TRISs, they actually saw a real change at 1 July 17. And it's important to be aware of because a TRIS, which was previously counting towards ECPI in our ECPI calculation, now may or may not count towards ECPI. So by default, the TRIS has lost their tax-exempt status at 1 July 17. So they are now a non-retirement phase TRIS. They will not count towards claiming ECPI earnings taxed at that maximum of 15%. They similarly don't raise a transfer balance account credit because they're not a retirement phase interest nor any other T-bar events, but they are still an income stream. So it is important to remember they're still a pension, so you still need to make a minimum payment every year, but they are not eligible for ECPI. The TRIS, however, will again commence being in the tax-free retirement phase a couple of ways. 
The first is automatically when the member turns 65. So it's going to be more important than ever for the trustees to be on top of, of what's happening in the SMSF. And if a member is turning 65 who has a TRIS in an upcoming financial year, they'll need to be aware of the account balance supporting that interest because if the balance is near that $1.6 million cap, you might have to commute some of that prior to their birthday to make sure that you don't exceed your transfer balance cap because when they turn 65, that interest will automatically convert to a retirement-based TRIS. The account balance at that date will need to be reported for TBAR as the transfer balance account entry for that member. The second way this TRIS can convert to retirement phase is if the member actually reports that they've attained a new cashing restriction condition of release to the SMSF trustee. If they do that, then from that time, again, the TRIS will convert to be in the retirement phase. And when a TRIS converts to be in the retirement phase, a few things happen. It does again become eligible to count towards exempt current pension income. It will be eligible to make lump sums and make payments in excess of the 10% limit we have in the non-retirement phase. So effectively, those commutation restrictions fall away. Can I ask you something? It's a very basic question, but you just said that when a TRIS comes into retirement phase, then you can make lump sum withdrawals. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between a lump sum withdrawal and a pension payment? Primarily in our new world, a pension payment will count towards the minimum pension standards for the pension, but you don't need to report it for T-bar purposes. A lump sum withdrawal is a commutation. Is effectively a yeah, partial commutation and withdrawal, and that will count towards T-bar, so you have to report that, but it, it no longer counts towards the minimum pension standards. So a strategy many SMSFs are looking at now is to take your minimum payments as pension payments. And then to commute the rest. And then if they want to make any further payments, take them as lump sums because then that will reduce the member's transfer balance account for an opening space for any further amounts they may need to receive into pension. I see. And that's why you can't do a lump sum withdrawal from a TRIS before they are in retirement phase because before they are in retirement phase, they don't have a transfer balance account and therefore you can't. It's a non-commutable income stream until it's in the retirement phase, yes. It's a, a special income stream that can make up to that 10% payment. But, yeah, they can't commute it, so they can't make effectively what is a partial commutation lump sum withdrawal. Yes, but they yes. could always stop the TRIS again, couldn't they? They could always say, actually, we want to move it back to accumulation. Yes, yes. you and can still do a full commutation. You can't take it out of the super environment. So they can't do a lump sum and take the money out, but they could stop the income stream if they don't want it anymore. I see. So before they move into retirement phase, they could still do a full commutation and move it back into accumulation. After they move into retirement phase, they could do a partial full commutation, move it back to accumulation, but they can also take it fully out. Yeah, just like you can for an account-based pension, you can make payments in excess of that 10% if you want to. So when we say partial commutation or full commutation, that basically just means we move it from retirement phase back to accumulation. What's the word to say it moved from accumulation completely out of the fund? Is it just yeah, oh, a payout? A, a or? different languages, but that's where I would say lump sum. So if I'm I taking see. a lump sum, that would, in my mind, mean that you're taking the money out of the SMSF. If you're doing a commutation, often people think that that's the one where you're just moving it back to accumulation phase. I see. Yeah. Mm. So a couple of interesting things about the trisses to be aware of is that in the ATO's view, when we, when we have this transition from the non-retirement phase tris to the retirement phase tris, this actually isn't stopping and restarting the tris as an account-based pension. It's the same income stream, the same tris, but now just in the retirement phase. So this doesn't facilitate an auto-conversion to an ABP, which is really interesting in the ATO's view. So they're very clear that once that nil cashing restriction is met, 
all those commutation restrictions fall away. So it has the same characteristics as an account-based income stream, but it's a retirement-based TRIS. And I thought the ATO was saying, no, you first need to stop the TRIS and then start an ABP. But what the ATO is actually just saying is, yes, the TRIS is moving into retirement phase, but it's not becoming an ABP. It's It continues to be a TRIS. Correct. It's it's a TRIS. So at 1 July, you had a non-retirement phase TRIS. You turn 65 on the 1st of August, it becomes a retirement phase TRIS. The income stream is just continued. So your minimum payments need to be paid once in that year. You don't have to recalculate them before and after or anything like that. If you actually wanted an account-based pension, then you would need to commute the TRIS and restart a new account-based pension. But just think about that carefully because we know in the ATO's view, for all intents and purposes, the retirement-based TRIS is basically like an ABP in terms of its characteristics. So if you do commute it, obviously it means you need to do a pension payment prior to commutation. If you restart the interest, you may have to recalculate your tax components. You'll need to do another minimum payment, do all your new documents. So think about whether it is appropriate or needed. If, you, if your client's confused about that, yeah. Yeah, and what's the difference between a TRIS and retirement phase and an ABP? Not much, yes. it's You can make your lump sums, you can take your payments out, yes. it's eligible for eCPI, you've got the same tax oh. components that you had, but in the ATO view, its income stream isn't stopping and starting, it's now just a retirement phase TRIS, which is their word for the TRIS now in, in the retirement phase. Yeah. So do you know why the ATO makes such a fuss about it? You know, why not just say, yes, the TRIS becomes an ABP and then we just have ABPs in retirement phase rather than now having TRIS in retirement phases and ABP when they're actually exactly the same. Yeah, maybe just if you say the TRIS non-retirement phase goes to an account-based pension, and this is me just uh, thinking here, that obviously an account-based pension is a defined product and so you have moved from one product to another product, which would mean, as they've said, you need to commute and restart. So saying it just moves into something with those characteristics, maybe they thought, well, we can't just say it moves to an ABP because that is something different. They had to give another name for it. Everyone's been asking a very similar question and, indeed, there's still some industry views out there that there, the documents can be written in a way that it should be able to convert to what is an account-based pension, but that's the view the ATO has come out with around that issue. So something to be aware of. So that truth in retirement phase will have the same characteristics around exempt income the tax components and and the ability to make payments. Yeah. Uh, One thing to be aware of, though, is that if your truth was commenced previously, just check the documentation to see whether there's anything more restrictive in the fund rules than than what is now the law. So if your truth was commenced with a documentation that said, say, the member can make no more than 10% of the balance as a payment each year, then even though now if once it's in retirement phase, the law says that they can make payments in excess of 10%, you'd be bound by your fund rules. So unless you can change those rules in some way, you, you may need to then look at commuting the income stream and starting it as a fresh ABP to, to get around those more restrictive documentation that you've got in place. So that will be important to have a look out for. Uh, the other characteristic to be aware of is that if you have a TRIS that uh, moves to the retirement phase because you meet a condition of release under age 65, then if the client goes back to work, so they go back and they're starting to receive contributions again, those new contributions will be preserved, but your retirement phase TRIS will remain in the retirement phase unrestricted, non-preserved because the cashing restriction was met on those monies at a previous time. So it doesn't revert back to being not in retirement phase. I see, but the new contributions then go into an accumulation account. Correct, yes. 
So if we touch back on segregated pension assets, as mentioned, these are where you claim exempt current pension income under the Tax Act Section 295.385. This is income earned on assets solely supporting retirement phase liabilities. You don't need an actuarial certificate to claim your 100% tax exemption on these on these assets. And any capital gains and losses are simply disregarded under the, the segregation rules. And that's a very good point because I always thought of capital gains and losses as being exempt, just like the ECPI is exempt mm. of capital gains and losses also being exempt. But I now actually re- realise they're not exempt, they're disregarded. Disregarded from, from forming part of accessible income, yeah, where your assets are solely supporting retirement mm. phase. And I think it matters when you have capital losses because it means the capital losses are also disregarded. Definitely, yes. Yeah. So if you've got capital gain incurred on segregated pension assets, it's disregarded, making it effectively 100% tax exempt. If you've got a loss incurred on a segregated pension asset, it is again disregarded, which means, yes, you can't carry it forward. If you had a dollar in accumulation for the year you incurred that gain, then you could carry it forward because the the time you incurred that gain, because the fund would be under the proportionate method. Yes. What happens to capital losses when you change to retirement phase? So let's say you make a capital loss in accumulation and then you have the carried forward loss. Yep. But then you basically lose that carried forward loss when you move into pension. Uh, So if you had carried forward capital losses and then you move fully into retirement phase and you are segregated, then for the period you're segregated, any gains or losses you incur in those years are disregarded. So you're not offsetting the losses yet. If at some future point you have an accumulation interest again, and you incurred a capital gain now in the proportionate method, then you would need to start utilising those capital losses. So because they're disregarded in that segregated period, doesn't mean it they're, doesn't, lost. they're not lost off the ones that you had from when you were under the proportionate method. In most cases, if you think about how the lifespan of an SMSF accumulation, you, know, you might be mixed and then full retirement, you often don't go back to accumulation before it winds up, you know, because both members will be in pension. So they, they are often lost in that respect. But should there be an accumulation interest, which we might see more of now, once one person passes away, the second person receives their interest but can't keep it all in pension because of the cap, they might commute some back to accumulation, meaning the fund becomes mixed at that point, then any previous capital losses will again become valuable for that remaining spouse going forward. So when we think about segregated pension assets, there are two ways that we can have this type of asset in the SMSF. So there's elected segregation and deemed segregation. If we think about elected segregation, this was how industry thought segregation worked effectively prior to the 1718 financial year. So if we think about assets elected to be segregated, it's where you might pick one asset or pool of assets in the SMSF and set them aside to solely support a member or a pool of members retirement phase accounts. Now, the ATO are quite clear that you can't segregate part of an asset. So if you have a property worth a million dollars and you have a pension account worth $500,000, you can't segregate that property to that interest because it doesn't fit inside that interest, if you like. The exception is bank accounts, and they have previously released guidance that you can segregate part of a bank account. So if we did segregate a property to a member's pension and that property was earning rental income, then rather than set up a separate bank account to receive that rental income, which is one option, we could receive that rental income into the fund's general bank account. But what we would need to do is maintain what they call notional sub-accounts, effectively an accounting construct to track two accounts within that one bank account, one belonging to the segregated side of things and the other, that's the the general proportionate method bank account for the fund. Uh, So if you have elected segregation, income or capital gains 
and on those assets are exempt income. And any elected segregation will be making this specific decision to set assets aside to support a retirement phase account should be recorded as part of the fund's investment strategy. And this is important because it has implications for the members' risk profiles and the liquidity considerations of the fund. Before the super reform, we only had elected segregation. Do you see a lot more elected segregation now? or uh, It was never prevalent. It was always a deliberate strategy used for specific reasons for trustees in the SMSF. We haven't seen any more of it since 1 July. I mean, we're early into the new reform years, but no, we haven't seen more of it. If anything, it's just become more complicated to have it. And remember that in the ATO's view, you can segregate separately for investment purposes to tax purposes. So we can have an asset that you really like in your SMSF and we set it aside so that you get the income and expenses associated with that asset. I would call that segregation for investment purposes. And yes, that still must be documented in the investment strategy and meet all the requirements of the trustees. But you don't necessarily have to treat that asset as segregated for tax purposes. If you want to segregate it for tax purposes, then you need to meet the segregated pension asset requirements. So we see that quite commonly where you might have two members in a fund. They might both be in pension and accumulation. They might be transitioning to retirement. But we might have a pool of assets that cover all of your accounts, a pool of assets that cover my accounts. Now, that's not segregation for tax purposes because the assets are supporting both pension and accumulation. But that is segregation for investment purposes. Now, they possibly could have had two SMSFs, one each, but you do see that as well, that sort of thing. So elected segregation, if we, if we go through a really simple example of, of some of the issues that you can face if you do employ elected segregation or some things you should look out for. So if we imagine a two-member SMSF, one big pool of assets, a balanced investment mix. Member one has an account-based pension with $850,000. Member two's in accumulation and they have $150,000. So we've got a million dollars in the SMSF. Each member has a balanced risk profile. If the trustees decide that one of the assets in the fund, which is an investment property worth $800,000, they decide they want to segregate that to member one's account-based pension. Now, the property is worth $800,000, so it's less than the value of the account to which we're attributing it, which is member one's pension worth $850,000, so we can do the segregation. We document that as part of the investment strategy, and that asset becomes a segregated pension asset for member one. And then the remaining $50,000, we fill up with the bank account. As the remaining money in the fund, which is that $200,000 worth of assets, which might be mostly defensive assets in the fund, considering the whole SMSF was balanced originally, will support member two's $150,000 of accumulation and the remaining $50,000 of member one's account-based pension. And so that $50,000, is that segregated or that's not segregated? That's in the proportion of... That's unsegregated, yes. So okay. none of those assets are set aside to specifically belong to member one or member two. Just those 200,000 in assets are supporting the 150 in accumulation and the remaining 50 in pension. It's only the property that has been set aside and documented as belonging to member one's pension interest. Now, one thing to be aware of when we do this is that it changes the risk profiles for each member. So member one's balance is now mostly made up of this investment property. They've got one large lumpy asset supporting most of their account. So they may now take on more of a growth risk profile. Member two's assets are now mostly supported by everything else, which are defensive assets, and they would take on a defensive risk profile. 
So the trustee will need to consider whether that's appropriate to the goals and strategies of each member. You know, member two might be trying to accumulate savings for retirement as a portfolio of defensive assets appropriate to achieving that goal. Is one large lumpy asset with a growth profile appropriate for the pensioner? So they need to make sure it meets the investment profiles appropriate to each member. The second issue to consider is around liquidity, and it may not always be there at the start, but over time, this issue can creep up on the SMSF. In this case, we have an $800,000 property supporting member one's $850,000 pension. Now, they need to make a minimum pension payment of $42,500. When they take that money out, their account balance on paper, if you like, reduces to $807,500. But that property hasn't changed in value yet. It's still worth $800,000. So they've now got a balance of $807,500 supported by that $800,000 segregated property and, and, and just some other assets that are in the defensive portfolio of the fund that are unsegregated. So we've now only got $7,500 in assets that are not segregated and, if you like, uh, are liquid assets in the fund the member can access. So we can face some liquidity issues if the member wants to take more out. If or they, has to take more or out. Or has to take more out, absolutely, yeah. So if they want to take another $15,000 out of the SMSF, again, let's say they do that, then their balance reduces to under 800000 792500 but that property is still worth 800000 Now, because the property is only now supporting part of the interest it was attributed to, so it's worth more than the value of the pension, that removes the segregation. That segregation would cease at that time and the fund would again become unsegregated. So it's important to be aware of when this might happen. If you get to the end of the year and you discover that, oh, that segregation needed to stop halfway through the year, then you may need to redo some of your payments, your accounting, to account for the fact that there was not a segregated pension asset there. If the tax office saw it first, they may disallow it for the whole year because you, you did the wrong thing uh, in terms of letting that asset not meet the definition of a segregated pension asset. You might say, well, the property would have been earning income. And yes, that's true. If that income was sufficient to meet your pension payments over time, then that may be okay. But, but certainly in, if times got tough or the member wanted to take out some lumpy payments, the fund could face these liquidity issues. So it's important to be aware of what assets are being elected as segregated and whether that's causing any potential liquidity issues in the SMSF. So our second type of segregation was deemed segregation, and this is the new view on segregation we've seen from 1 July 17 from the ATO. If we think about the definition of segregation, we said before it's where an SMSF is solely supporting retirement phase accounts at a time in the year. And if they are at a time, then they must use the segregated method to claim ECPI. So this means that even if your SMSF is supporting retirement phase liabilities alone only for a day, then the fund must use the segregated method to claim income earned on that day. Now, this is a new view from the tax office and it applies from the 17-18 financial year. It actually came about as a result of the CGT relief we saw for the 16-17 years. So, You remember there was that test on the 9th of November 2016, is an asset solely in retirement phase? Is the fund solely in retirement phase at that time? And if they did, they had to use the segregated method for CGT relief. Well, we went to the tax office and talked to them and said, from an actuarial perspective, how does this view impact ECPI? And they said, well, isn't that always how the actuaries and industry have been doing it? 
And we said no. And so we have a new view from the tax office on this. The law has not changed, but how we've interpreted the law and must apply it has. So the ATO, in light of understanding that funds had been using a different industry approach for prior income years, we'd never seen an audit issue from any funds that we'd completed. They applied their compliance approach. So basically from the 16, 17 and prior income years, you can continue to use your industry approach to ECPI of obtaining an actuarial certificate, even if during the year there were periods where the fund was solely in retirement phase. However, from 17, 18, we need to apply this new ATO view, which we're calling deemed segregation. So from 17, 18 financial year onwards, if the fund is solely in retirement phase at a time, no matter how long that time is, you must use the segregated method to claim ECPI in those periods. And where the fund was in accumulation phase or mixed accumulation and pension, it must use the proportionate method to claim ECPI in those periods. And this means a fund could actually end up using both methods to claim ECPI in a year. And the ATO said that they won't review the incorrect approach before the 1st of July 2017 because it actually means more tax, doesn't it? If you use the proportionate method when you should have used the ECPI, then it means you use more, you pay more tax. Uh, it would depend on the timing of income. So if the actuarial certificate was provided over the full income year but instead should have applied a deemed approach, then those periods in retirement phase would come out of the exempt income calculation from the actuary. So the tax exempt percentage would go down, but it would mean that any income in those deemed periods would be 100%. So it still weighs out about the same. The tax revenue overall probably wouldn't change that much unless there was material differences in the timing of income. So as a really quick example of how this deemed segregation can occur without any deliberate decision by the SMSF trustees, say at 1 July, your SMSF had an account-based pension and also a member with it what is now a non-retirement-based trust. So we have an accumulation-based interest being the non-retirement-based trust and a retirement-based interest being the AVP. If a couple of months down the track, the retirement phase non-retirement phase TRIS member turns 65, that TRIS converts to the retirement phase. Combined with the ABP, which is also retirement phase, we create a deemed period because the assets from that time are solely supporting retirement phase liabilities. So this fund, uh, with this type of situation where they were, say, mixed for a couple of months and then fully in retirement phase for the rest of the year, previously you probably just got an actuarial certificate for the whole financial year multiplied that percentage by the fund's income and off you went. But for 17, 18 and, and future financial years, that approach is no longer an option. The fund actually must use the proportionate approach for the initial two months of the year where you had a mix of accumulation and pension-based liabilities and it must use the segregated method from the time the assets were solely in retirement phase to the end of the financial year. A question we got asked a couple of times, uh, which we took to the tax office, was does the, the deemed segregation be removed if the fund had a momentary accumulation account? And by that I mean if you had an accumulation interest at 1 July that you move into retirement phase, technically there was an accumulation interest for a second, or if you did a partial commutation and a withdrawal, similarly a contribution and you move that into retirement phase, then technically there was an accumulation interest in the fund. 
does that mean the deemed segregation stops and you'd need an actuarial certificate for that day for any income earned on that day? Well, we talked to the tax office and they had quite a good practical approach to this and they said it's a matter of evidence and documentation. So if you can show that there was no income earned when the fund was in accumulation phase, then you don't need an actuarial certificate and you can continue to use the deemed segregated method over the whole financial year. So, for example, if you had a minute saying I'm making a contribution and that accumulation interest will be immediately converted in full to an account-based pension, then that would provide evidence that there was no time there for an income to be earned. If, on the other hand, you had, say, a contribution hit at 9am, some interest into the bank account or a trust distribution at 10.30am and then your minutes to start your pension were documented at 3pm, if you could see that level of detail, then that would provide evidence that there was income earned when you had an accumulation interest and you would need an actuarial certificate if you want to claim ECPI on that income. But most documentation doesn't have the time stamp. You know, they, no, they have the date. But yeah, they, they have, have a time. So you want to have that kind of language link. linking the accumulation to the pension in however it was. Yeah, so I'm making a partial commutation and immediately withdrawing or started my account-based pension at the start of day one, July 17. That sort of thing will help provide evidence. And I think most clients will be able to have sufficient comfort that they can meet that requirement so that you can continue to use a segregated approach over the entire year, which is a great outcome for practitioners. Now, the other side of the coin when assets are not segregated, and it's important to consider this because there have been a few little changes. So Obviously, assets are not segregated and must use the proportionate or unsegregated approach to exempt current pension income as defined under Section 295.390 of the Tax Act. Three ways. If the assets were supporting both retirement phase and non-retirement phase accounts on a day, so you had an accumulation interest and an account-based pension, where the fund was solely in accumulation phase. So by default, assets in accumulation phase are not segregated. And also if the fund has what we call disregarded small fund assets, which is a new rule which came in as part of the superannuation reforms. And if a fund does have disregarded small fund assets, you have to effectively have to forget everything I just said about segregation and just use the proportionate method to claim eCPI. So under the proportionate method to claim your exempt income, you have to get an actuarial certificate. That is just one actuarial certificate that needs to apply for the full financial year but it will exclude any segregated pension assets. So the actuary who does the calculation will exclude any segregated pension liabilities from the calculation and the exempt income proportion provided by the actuary will apply only to the income earned when the assets were not segregated pension assets. So this was a quick overview of segregation and exempt current pension income, especially in light of the super reforms, which commenced from 1 July 17 and how important it is to understand deemed segregation in light of the new rules, which will impact how you claim exempt current pension income in your annual return. Welcome back. My takeaway from this episode is start pensions on the 1st of July. Make any changes on the 1st of July, and then after that, don't do anything that could trigger a separate period. (laughs) But of course, there are many reasons for doing just the opposite. In the next episode, episode 83, Melanie Dunn will talk about disregarded small fund assets. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for supporting us all. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.